But God had him write it down. Why? Because I believe he wanted you and me to be hearing the word that he gave to Joel the prophet. And Joel wrote it down, not for his generation, but for this generation. More than ever, we are in a season where God is sounding alarms all over the world. People must acknowledge God and turn back to him. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we have a special message from Evangelist Anne Graham Lotz and her insights into the book of Joel as she goes into knowing how important it is to understand the times and what to do about them. Let's take a listen. Without saying what a privilege it is to be here. So we've heard about the book of Joel. We've talked about it. Let's hear from him. Would you open your Bibles to Joel chapter 1? I'm going to read it through. I'll pray and then I'll share with you the thoughts that I feel God has put on my heart. Can you find it? You brought your Bibles, right? Okay. Joel chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of a new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you minister, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain is dried up. How the cattle mourn. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the open pastures, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you, and the streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. Father, we're coming here together at this epicenter conference at King of Kings Church in the heart of the city that you love. 
And we're just not on a tour. This isn't an event. It's not just a conference. We're asking for divine encounter with you. We want to hear a word from you. So would you speak now as we, your children, choose to open our ears and listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit? And if it's because of the word spoken or in spite of them, Lord, it doesn't matter. We're just wanting to hear a word from you personally this morning. And we're asking this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. You know, at any given point during the day, I want to know what time it is. Because I need to know what time it is during the day in order to, you know, go where I need to go, see who I need to see, do what I need to do. And so I wear a watch on my wrist. I have a clock on my computer, a clock on my cell phone. At home, I have a clock in every room of the house. It's been very important here to know what time it is. Because if I call home at the wrong time, I'm going to get them in the middle of the night. So if you're a busy person, you understand the need to know what time of day it is, right? Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew chapter 16 that they could discern the weather. They could look at the sky and tell, you know, what the weather was going to be. But he said, oh, foolish generation, you can't discern the signs of the times. And he was indicating to them that just as important as it is, maybe more important than knowing what time of day it is, you and I need to know what time we're living in human history. And let me just point this out. I think it's obvious, but maybe not, that history had a beginning. Human history had a beginning when God created everything and he formed man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed his own breath into him and man became a living being. That was the beginning of human history as we know it. And human history had a midpoint, not where it divided history in two pieces, but where a fulcrum, a focal point on which all of human history turns. And it's the first coming of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. That's the Pivotal point for all of human history. But listen to me, human history will have an end as we know it. It will come to a conclusion and a climax. And Jesus said, you need to know what time that you're living in human history so that you can live according to God's plan, that you don't miss out on something that God is doing that's very important. And so several chapters after Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives and he was talking to his disciples and they asked him, tell us how to tell time. Tell us what will be the sign of the last generation in human history. How will we know it if we're living in that last generation? And so Jesus sat there and he gave them signs so that they could tell what time it was in human history. And I just want to pick up with that thought because I believe Joel chapter 1 is telling you and me the time is now. This is the last generation. And Joel, as has been pointed out, and it's going to be a little confusing if I refer to Joel Rosenberg, so I'm just going to... You know, say Joel, meaning the prophet Joel, okay? (laughs) So Joel, the prophet, was giving out his message. And I'm assuming to the people to whom he was giving it, it was verbal. All right? But God had him write it down. Why? Because I believe he wanted you and me to be hearing the word that he gave to Joel, the prophet. And Joel wrote it down, not for his generation, but for this generation. And Joel, interestingly, as has been pointed out, we don't know anything about him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know if he prophesied before the captivity, after the captivity to the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. In other words, Joel was a nobody. But you know something? He received God's words and he was faithful to give God's word out and he became a somebody. So much so that Peter quotes him at Pentecost. So this is just a little parenthetical encouragement for you, okay? You feel like a nobody? You know, from heaven's perspective, you and I can become a somebody. When we receive God's word, read your Bible, 
read your Bible and you apply it to your life and you live it out on the anvil of your experience and then you share God's word with somebody else and you become a somebody in heaven's eyes. So Joel is faithful to receive a word from the Lord and then to impart it. And he's imparting it. Verse 2 makes it clear to everybody. So this is a message not just for Gentiles, not just for Jews, not just for Americans or Asians or Europeans, not just for Protestants or Catholics. Or This message is for everybody, to all who live in the land. But then he gets specific in verse 2. It's to the elders, those who are older, you know, like me and have gray hair. To those in verse 3 who are children. And the children's children, grandchildren, in other words, to so the next generation. God's word is relevant not only for older people, but for the young people, the ones who go around with pierced eyebrows and pierced cheeks and pierced noses and, you know, pierced everything and red hair and green hair and iPods and iPads and iPhones. And they seem, you know, sometimes I feel like I can't even speak their language, but God's word is relevant for them. For the older, for the younger, in verse 5, to the drunkard, those who are living openly in their sin, those who just don't give a thought about God, and they're out there just living it up, and God's word is for them. In verse 9 and 13, it's for the priests, those who are religious, going through their rituals and traditions and being self-deceived into thinking they're right with God because they're doing all of the stuff. God's word in verse 11 is for the farmers, the working class people, the ordinary people just going about their everyday business. And once again, in verse 14, it says, call this for everybody. God's word is for everybody. In particular, it's for you and me as God's people. So this is a message from a nobody who became a somebody. And it's for you, okay? Living right here at Epicenter, from wherever you come from. You can come from Asia. You can come from Europe. You can come from America. You can come South America. Wherever you come from, this is God's word to you. And in verse 2, he says... Has anything like this ever happened before? In other words, this was record-breaking. And he was speaking, of course, of a local a locust plague that came in, and nothing like this had ever happened before. But it was a disaster of national proportion that was record-breaking. And Jesus, when he told his disciples how to tell time in Matthew 24, he gave them signs, and he said they were like birth pains. And he said, and I, when I gave birth to my children, I had a, I started out with a low back pain and it sort of wrapped around and you ladies can understand, but the birth pains, you know, wasn't so bad. And I thought, well, this isn't so bad. And then it was every five minutes, then four minutes, then three minutes, then two minutes. And as they increased in frequency, increased in intensity, until the end I was hollering, and then the baby came. And Jesus gave the signs to his disciples, and he said that the signs that I'm giving you are like birth pains when you see them increasing in frequency. And when you see them increasing in intensity, when they're record-breaking then you know the time is drawing near. And it's not just seeing them, you know, scattered over the generations. Within one generation, when you see the signs that Jesus gave within one generation and they're like birth pains are increasing in frequency and intensity, you look up because you know the time is drawing near. It's the last generation. And I believe, and I, I can't digress, it's so hard not to go off on a rabbit trail, but I believe that generation was kicked off when the nation of Israel was founded, reestablished as a nation. And that kicked off the generation that would be the last one. This is my generation. My daddy said, Ann, what's a generation? Is it 40 years, 70 years? I said, I don't know, daddy, but it's mine. (laughs) And so Joel, the prophet, uses this locust plague, this 
unprecedented, record-breaking national disaster as a sign that the day of the Lord was drawing near. And I've taken the locust plague and I've broken it down into six categories. And I just want to go through the categories because they're like alarms going off. And God, when he's trying to get our attention, you know, in the Old Testament, when he couldn't get the people's attention through prophets or through his word, he would send them something like a locust plague. And it was like, hey, guys, look up here. I have something to say to you. And so you take some of the things that are happening today, and I believe there are alarms going off. It's warnings. God is saying, look up here. I have something I want to say to you. The end is drawing near. And so let's look at these categories because they're, in fact, their alarm's going off. And, and if I can just ask you, have you ever slept through your alarm? I bet if you did, <laughs> you were sorry you did. And I thought when I set my alarm, I thought, Ann, you need to do that very carefully because if you sleep through this alarm, and it's very easy on a time change to do, you know, and you sleep through this alarm, who's going to do Joel 1 for Joel Rosenberg? So, <laughs> so we don't want to sleep through the alarm. And God gives us the alarms because he means for us to wake up. And these warnings that are coming are wake-up calls. So the first one, of course, is the environmental disaster, the locust plague. In verse 4, when he says, What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. And it just ravished the land until nothing was left. An environmental disaster that was unprecedented record-breaking. Now, what environmental disaster can you name? It's been record-breaking. I mean, I can just think, you know, we can tick them off in the last few years. And Hurricane Katrina, that wiped a modern American city off the map. And you can go back there today and they say it's being rebuilt. I don't think it'll ever come back to what it was. Record-breaking earthquake in Haiti, destroying most of the nation. Record-breaking earthquake in Chile. Record-breaking earthquake off the coast of Japan. So that you have a record-breaking tsunami so that you have a record-breaking nuclear meltdown and record-breaking floods in Australia and in America and in Europe. They're record-breaking. In other words, the, the floods this year were 100-year floods that broke the records from last year, which were 100-year floods, you know, which broke record last year, which, and it's ratcheting up. How many times do we see a record? It says it's the first time in recorded history this has happened, but last year they said the same thing about the same kind of tornado or hurricane or monsoon. So the environmental disasters are increasing in frequency and they're increasing in intensity and their alarms going off. Do you have the ears to hear? And not only the environmental disasters, but what I'm going to call just social disasters or alarms going off in society. When he says in verse five, wake up you drunkards. And I pick up on just the substance abuse and the drug abuse, and the alcoholism, alcohol-related deaths in the United States or alcohol-related accidents are the number one cause of death amongst our teenagers. We spend more money in the United States on alcohol than we do on cancer. And so I decided I'm going to look up in Israel and see if they have a problem with alcoholism, something maybe not nice to do before you come to see, visit a country, but I just looked it up on the web. I came to several websites, and one website I believe is reputable, and it, all of them said that Israel has no problem with alcoholism amongst the adult population. But 75% of elementary-age boys drink every weekend. And, and we can debate over those numbers, but it's still very alarming. And from the ages of 12 to 18 in Israel, the young people would say they have gotten drunk. So that's an alarm going off in this nation. The warning, you're losing the next generation. 
Can you imagine what that does to their minds and their little bodies and their physical systems that intake that kind of substance? That's a warning bell that's going off. And their financial disaster, warning us financially. In verse 5, it says the wine is snatched from your lips. And wine in Joel's day was not a luxury, it was a staple, something that they needed for everyday life. And just like that, it was gone. And in America, and I know Israel is prosperous and praise God for that. And America is perhaps the most prosperous nation in the world. And just like that, how many of us lost our pensions, lost our retirement, have lost our jobs, have lost our life savings, just like that. And we've seen how fast it can disappear. And it's just a warning. In other words, all of these are warnings. They're just a glimpse of how bad it's going to get. Environmentally and socially and financially. Revelation 6, 6 says at the end, and as the tribulation begins, that a loaf of bread would cost a year's wage. And we think, how can that be? But even in a nation like America, we just need a few droughts and floods and other things, a few diseases to sweep through our cattle or our chickens or, you know, just like that can be snatched from us. So national disasters, a national warning in verse 6, when it, and it's talking about the locust plague, so, but I'm just breaking this down. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. And I thought, you know, a locust invasion that destroyed the land was like an army, but it was not a human army. So then I was asking myself, what non-human army is invading our world and destroying it? Just like that, I could think of pornography. Invading our land and our nation, just subtle, seeping corruption, destroying the fabric of society, tearing apart healthy relationships and families, the very bedrock on which a nation is built. Pornography makes more money in a year than Apple Microsoft, Google, eBay, Amazon, Yahoo, combined. That's a disaster. Not only pornography, I thought of the bondage to addictions. Not just addiction to pornography, but alcohol and drugs that destroy self-respect and dignity. And I thought of the invading army of generational hatred that's just generation after prejudices that destroy the opportunity for peace and and sow the seeds for war. And maybe the worst of all, the invading army of unbelief and just the rise of secularism and humanism and agnosticism and atheism. Jesus said in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be at the coming of the Son of Man. And men are eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and they didn't know the flood was coming until it came and swept them all away. And there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, except they did it all without God giving no acknowledgement to God at all. And I see in our world today, you know, we can all have our own gods, right? And we all have our own gods. Some of them are inside, some of them are here. You know, Hindus have 353 million of them. And so it's okay, just you have your God, I have my God. But that's not the same thing as fear and reverence of the almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And increasingly, there's no respect for him. There's no fear for him. There's no acknowledgement of him at all. We just make him out to be one of many gods. And that's a disaster. And the rise of the secularism and humanism and the in-your-face attitude that we see today is a warning going off. It's an alarm. And that leads us to the religious disaster because it says in verse 9, the grain offering and drink offering are cut off. 
And I'll tell you something, when we have environmental disasters and financial disasters and national disasters and these other kinds of things that are happening, we feel, God, where are you? Have you abandoned us? I remember the week after 9-11, I was invited to do an interview with CBS Morning News in the States, and Jane Clayson was the interviewer, and she asked me that very question. She said, Ann, where was God on 9-11? Because you feel cut off. When these things happen, we feel separated from God. And so I'll tell you what I told her. I said, Jane, God is a gentleman, and we've been telling him to get out. You know, get out of our marketplace, get out of our government, get out of our schools, get out of our businesses. And so God doesn't insist on going where he's told to get out. So gradually he just backs off. Romans 1 says he just gradually backs off degree by degree. He removes his hand of blessing and protection, and he allows us to experience things that otherwise he would have protected us from. But I believe he has tears streaming down his cheeks because he knows what's coming. And so to me, the spiritual warning bell, backing off from the one true living God, becoming so politically correct that we can talk about God as long as we don't get too specific as to which God we're talking about. That's the greatest disaster. But there's also agricultural disaster. Warning bell in the agricultural field in verse 10 when it says the fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, all of us have seen pictures of fertile fields that now are just sun-baked plains with weeds coming up through the cracks. Or a field that was ripe for harvest underwater, the produce rotting. Or orchards because of a drop in temperature where everything is frozen. And there's going to be agricultural disaster. And it's a warning, it's an alarm going off. And then I think that leads to maybe an emotional And I just tuck this in like an emotional warning because all of this affects our pleasure and our happiness. In verse 16, it says joy and gladness is cut off. Verse 8, it says mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of your youth. It's like inconsolable grief for a nation, but there's coming a time where there'll be inconsolable grief for the whole world. And there's just an emotional upheaval. And I think today as I travel around, even talking to the clerks in the stores, and in fact, back in the States, I was talking to this clerk and and he said, Ann, what's wrong? Something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but this is not normal. This is not usual. And he's not a believer at all, but he can feel that emotional upheaval. And that's everywhere I go, there's an agitation of the spirit, a restlessness. Something's happening and we don't know what it is. The alarms are going off and God is warning us. This is it. The time is now. Wake up. Wake up. Stop pretending. These things have always happened. And yes, they have always happened, but not to this degree, not to this intensity, not to this frequency. And Jesus said the generation that sees all that take place within one generation, that's the generation. Wake up. It's time to wake up. God is speaking to us through these disasters. It's time to cry out. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... 
Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Below the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Our prayer requests today are to pray that the people in the epicenter and all over the Middle East would come to know the Lord, knowing that the day is coming when He will return. And pray for people around the world that they acknowledge the alarm that God is sounding across the globe and repent and turn to Him for mercy. God said in Genesis 6, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. There comes a time when God's patience runs out. God is loving, yes. God is merciful, yes. He is gracious and kind, yes, yes, yes. But God is also holy and righteous and just. And there comes a time when he says, that's enough. And he draws the line in the sand. So it's time to cry out to him. Listen to me. Warnings. He would not warn you and me if judgment was going to be right. Now. He, he warns us. He never sneaks up and judges us by surprise, okay? So when he's warning us, it means there's still time to cry out and to avert the judgment that's coming. So the warnings or alarms going off telling you, wake up, wake up, cry out. And we're to cry out to him with humility. In verse 13, put on sackcloth. It's a time to mourn and grieve for our sin. And sackcloth is just, to me, spiritual sackcloth. God, in me is no good thing. Even the best things that I can do are like filthy rags in your sight. And I'm sorry. And we mourn in humility, not pointing our finger at them. Like Ezra, the great teacher of the law. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, he studied the book that he might obey the book, that he might be a teacher in Israel. And when Cyrus, king of Persia, said, you can go back to Jerusalem, he led the captives back to Jerusalem. And I won't go into the chronology of the timing and all that, but he found God's people living in sin. And Ezra, the one who was so exemplary that, anyway, don't see any sin in his life, but he says, when he heard about the sin of his people, I tore my tunic and my cloak and I pulled hair from my head and beard and I sat down appalled. Chapter 9, verse 5 of Ezra. Then at evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and I fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and I prayed, oh my God. I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. <coughs> Confessing the sin of his people as though it was his own. That's humility. Prophet Daniel, so exemplary when they searched for something that was wrong with him, they couldn't find anything except he prayed three times a day. <laughs> And he says in chapter 9, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And it was almost 70 years since it had been taken captive. 
taken out of Jerusalem, stripped of his manhood, stripped of his name, stripped of his family, stripped of his country, taken as a slave to Babylon. And so now at the age of 90, he says, I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened. We are covered with shame. What humility. Confessing their sin as though it's my sin. It's our sin. With a broken heart. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned. And listen to me. Sin is sin, right? Even the smallest one would have sent Jesus to the cross. And we come, become so self-righteous when we think, well, I haven't done that, you know, and I'm not as bad as that person. I must be pretty good. And we compare ourselves with each other and we forget that in the light of a holy God, we're all sinners. And we're covered with shame and guilt. And it's not time to humble ourselves. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we cry out with humility and we cry out with sincerity. You call to declare a holy fast in verse 14. There's no church program or seminar or conference that's as important as gathering together to pray and repent of sin. Fasting, that's what this is, actually. Fasting is not just going without food. Fasting is going without housework, business, ministry, email, telephones, shopping. Fasting is going without anything and everything in order to draw aside and hear a word from the Lord. And cry out to him in response. This is a holy fast. And many of you have drawn aside from a long distance. You've gone to huge effort to come here and be here. And that's very appropriate. That we cry out with humility. And with sincerity. And with urgency. In verse 15 it says the day of the Lord is near. And Joel Rosenberg has given you a splendid definition for day of the Lord. Let me just give you my simple layman's definition. It's when God's patience runs out. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day of accountability. It's a day when we stand before him. And Joel says, it's coming. It's near. And it's a lot nearer than it was in Joel, the prophet's day. And I believe it's right at the door. We're looking at the end of human history as we know it. It's time to wake up. It's time to cry out in humility and sincerity and with urgency, repent of our sin. When Jesus began his public ministry, the first word out of his mouth, according to scripture, was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent of being your own king. And if this is king of kings church, and if Jesus is king of kings, he ought to be your king and my king. That means he ought to be king of what we do on Monday as well as what we do on Sunday, or on Sunday as well as what we do on the Sabbath. And if he's king, he ought to be king of not only what we give, but what we keep. Not only what we do in public, but what we do in private. And we need to repent of being our own king, sitting on his throne. Repent of all the times and ways that God has not been your king and my king. When we trust in our abilities and experience more than in the spirit of God. Make decisions ourselves, and then we ask God to honor them. Repent of going ahead of God, working for him, then asking God to bless us. Repent of measuring our success by other people's opinions and applause instead of what God thinks. It's time to repent. Gypsy Smith was a great old British evangelist, and he was asked, where does revival begin? And he said, just draw a circle around yourself and make sure everything in that circle is right with God. (laughs) 
several years ago, God did that for me. And I had set aside 10 days to prepare six messages and in order to deliver them at a seminar and got there the first day, took out my Bible, my pad, my pen, began to work hard on a passage. It wouldn't open up. And I said, God, help me, you know, and didn't open up. So I thought, well, Ann, you need a good night's sleep. So I went to bed, got a good night's sleep, woke up the next morning fresh, took out my pen, pad, my Bible. God, help me with this message. And it wouldn't open up. And I kept begging him, help me, help me, help me. You know, I've got to prepare this. And then it was like he said, Ann, I don't want to talk about the message. I want to talk about you. And finally, he got my attention. I said, all right, God. What do you want to say? And for seven days, he revealed to me sin in my life that I had no idea was there. Layer after layer after layer. And I confessed my sin on my face with tears. And I wrote down some of the sins that I was convicted of. And then I wrote down some of the sins I think you should be convicted of. <laughs> and I've mixed them up so you won't know which is which, okay? <laughs> But this will give you an idea. Ingratitude, neglecting to thank God for his blessings and for his answer to prayer. Neglect of Bible reading, going even one day without reading my Bible. Or reading it, checking off the list, you know, so I can get through the Bible in a year, but I can't remember what I read. Doubt that God will keep his promise because he hasn't kept it yet. Prayerlessness substituting, fantasizing, daydreaming, wishing for prayer, unconcerned for the lost, turning away from an opportunity to share the gospel because I'm tired or I just don't want to get into a lengthy conversation, hypocrisy, pretending to be anything that I'm not, pride, impressed with my accomplishments, my reputation, self-centeredness, It's just all about me. Envy. Jealous of someone who's more gifted or fruitful or recognizable. Lying. Saying that I'll pray for you. And then I hurry off and I forget and I never pray. Slander. Telling the truth about someone with the intention of making others think less of that person. And the list goes on. Anger. Gossip. Worry. Immorality. Meanness, unkindness, thoughtlessness. For seven days, the Lord, it was the most painful experience. It was like spiritual surgery. Never experienced anything as painful as that. It was like Isaiah when the coal was pressed to his lips and you know his lips blistered and that hurt. (laughs) Searing pain. End of seven days, I felt that God said, Ann, that's enough, I'm finished. And I said, make sure, you know, (laughs) go deep. I don't want to go through this again like this. And he reassured me it was okay. And in three days, I prepared those six messages. The audience never knew what I'd gone through, except I think there was a freshness in my relationship with God and an infusion of power. But I believe it's time for God's people to repent of our sin. God told Solomon, 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, when the disasters happen, when the alarms are going off, when the warnings are all over the place, the disasters one after another, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from their wicked ways. Listen, repentance is turning around. Yesterday we're going to the Mount of Olives and it was closed and so our very able driver did a U-turn in the road. Just That's repentance. You just turn around. 
You're going this way and you turn away from your sin and you go the other way. Going in your direction, you turn away and you go in God's direction and we repent of our sin. And he says, if we do that, I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land. God's blessing on Israel. God's blessing on America. God's blessing on your country. God's blessing on the world is directly related to God's people getting right with God. It's time for God's people to wake up, to cry out. But listen to me. This is critical. (laughs) You cry out not in complaining, not in whining. You cry out to God. And in verse 19, Joel says, To you, O Lord, I call. So to whom is he calling? (laughs) The same God. When the children of Israel were oppressed in Egypt by their Egyptian taskmasters and they cried out and God heard their cry and he raised up Moses to deliver them. The same God who wanted his children to go into the promised land and receive the fullness of his blessing, but they cried out because there's a big enemy stronghold sitting right there blocking their path. And he told them how to take that enemy stronghold and they wrapped it every day, once a day, seventh day, seven times. At the end of the seventh time, they cried out with a loud shout and the walls came tumbling down. Raising up Joshua to deliver them. In Gideon, we went out to Gideon Springs and we reread the story of Gideon when the God's children were pressed by the Midianites and they cried out to God and Gideon himself was so afraid he was in the wine press threshing the wheat because he was afraid of the Midianites and the people cried out to God and God says, I've heard their cry and he raised up Gideon to deliver them. And the God of David. And we read that story of Goliath when little shepherd boy goes out the Philistines have been terrorize the armies of Israel with his great big giant Goliath. And little shepherd boy goes out there and he says, you come to me in the name. I mean, you come to me with a spear and a javelin and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of the armies of Israel. Picked up his slingshot and his little stone and he slung it and Goliath was slain and God delivered his people. We go on through to Elijah who cried out to God and he sat down the fire and he cried out to God and God sent down the rain. The God of Daniel Prayed three times a day, thrown into the lion's den. And Darius goes there the next morning. Oh, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? And Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. My God has sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. He has delivered me. And the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who said, oh, king Nebuchadnezzar, we believe our God can deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to your golden image. And so they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar wipes his eyes and he says, wait a minute, I threw in three. Why do I see four? And the fourth looks like the son of God, because God had come down to deliver his children from the fire. And not a hair of their head was singed. We come to Jonah, sort of that miserable prophet in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea and he cries out to God and God hears him and he delivers him. And we come to our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, crying out, it is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he just refused to take the next breath. Don't let anybody tell you he was killed, okay? He was not murdered. He's the Lord of life, the creator of life, the giver of life. Nobody could take his life. He just chose to give his life. Refused to take the next breath and he died on that cross. And three days later, God raised him from the, delivered him from the tomb. Delivered him from death and along with him, all of us who put our faith in his name, seat him at the right hand of the Father, put all authority under his feet. Our God is God. And amen. And when we wake up and cry out, he will save us. 
God will hear our cry. Psalm 34, 17 says that God hears the cry of the righteous and he delivers them from all their troubles. So with all the disasters happening, all the earth, the birth pains and the alarms going off, and you remember, wake up, cry out to God who will save us. It's just that I believe with all my heart, living at this stage in human history, at the end of human history, in the last generation, these disasters are going to get worse and worse. In fact, in verse 19, it's so interesting because Joel says, the fire has devoured the open pastures. Then in verse 20, he repeats himself. The fire has devoured the open. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And everything I've said to you, I believe is going to get worse and worse and worse. But if God's people will wake up and cry out, God will save us. It's just that our Savior is not going to be Moses or Gideon or Elijah or David or our Savior is Jesus. And Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to deliver his people. Praise God. We have hope for the future because Jesus is coming. Well, thank you for listening to this special episode from Ann Graham Lotz and learning about the importance of receiving God's word and taking action because the time is short. If you found this podcast really valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Send any comments you may have to podcast at joshuafund.net. Your feedback is incredibly valuable to us as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.